is the, the worst thing that could happen to you. Consider the, the thing in your life that you are, are most afraid of. A couple weeks ago, I, I talked about this movie that told the story of these two, uh, two men who were taking a journey to find a room, that whatever room they went into, it would reveal to them what they most desired, underneath everything else, the thing that they most desired. Well, what if there was a room that you could enter into that showed you your biggest fear? What would be revealed to you and to the world? The letters to the seven churches in Revelation remind us that the worst thing that can happen to us is not physical suffering, is not the loss of the person in our life that's closest to us or some other emotional distress or sickness. The worst thing that can happen to us, the only thing that we should fear is that we would deny Christ. The worst thing that could happen to us as followers of Jesus is that over time, that he would become less and less, and that some other thing, some other idea, some other loyalty would take the central place in our life. And so these seven messages are warnings to us against that danger. And what we've seen as we looked at these letters is that that danger to deny Christ emerges all around us in all sorts of different kinds of circumstances. Some of these churches were going through a great deal of persecution and trial because of their faith. In those trials, that persecution created pressure for them to deny their faith and to love this life more than Christ. What we've also seen, though, is that there are other churches that were wealthy, that were doing well, that were safe and comfortable. Their bellies were full, and they began to love God's gifts more than they loved the giver of those gifts. And so God's gifts became the goal. God's gifts became the center. And that was the danger for those churches. And they had to be warned to not allow the safety and comfort and wealth that they had received as a gift to cause them to then deny Christ and to love those things more than Christ. Very different circumstances in, in these, these churches, but the same danger that they might deny Christ. And so in these letters, it's clear that our enemy uses both good things, uh, worldly good things that we have and experience, as well as bad things to try to get us to deny Jesus and to make some other thing, any other thing, the center of our life. To forget Christ, to deny him, to push him from the center is the only thing that we should fear. Here's the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It seems that the church in Philadelphia is an example of a church that kept Christ at the center and made sure that faithfulness to Jesus was the most important thing in their life. The church in Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna are the only two churches in the book of Revelation that don't receive some sort of rebuke or correction. All the other five churches receive that that phrase, but this I have against you. Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna do not receive that rebuke. Whatever circumstances the church in Philadelphia were going through, they remained faithful to Jesus. They did not deny him. For this church, being faithful to Jesus was more important than any other thing. More important than comfort, or safety, or security, or financial wealth. More important than their status in the city. Whatever this world could offer, the Christians in Philadelphia remained faithful. Even when being faithful to Jesus may cause them to be ostracized from the community, may cause them pain and suffering, faithfulness to Jesus was their aim. Keeping Jesus at the center of their life was their goal. The church in Philadelphia, like the church in Smyrna, was a church that was being persecuted. And from a worldly perspective, they were small. They did not have a lot of resources or influence or power. And there were a group of Jewish leaders in the city who were denying them access to the synagogue to worship. The synagogue was the place of worship for, for and fellowship for Jews. And these Christians who were following the Jewish Messiah knew that they were being faithful to God's plan to the Jewish people. But because they were being faithful to Jesus, they were seen as a threat. And the door of the synagogue was being slammed in their faces. And they were being shunned and ostracized by their friends and family because of their commitment to Jesus. They endured this trial and they allowed this trial, like the church in Smyrna that we talked about a few weeks ago, to make them more faithful to Jesus. These trials were an occasion for them to rejoice and to hold on to him even more. To rejoice that they had the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. They were ready. For whatever trial came their way, they were ready. They were prepared when the time of trial and testing came. They were ready. They kept Jesus at the center and they held on tightly to him. And so the the main question for Christian discipleship, I think, that emerges out of all of these letters is, are you ready to face whatever trial or tribulation or temptation comes your way? When the time of testing comes, when some tribulation comes, remember that word tribulation means pressure. 
When some pressure comes for you to deny Christ in one way or another, to be forced into the mold of this world, to make some other thing the center of your life, are you ready to stand with Christ in that pressure? Are you ready to stand the time of testing? This is the main question for Christian discipleship. Am I ready? Am I ready to endure whatever test and tribulation is coming in my life right now? The temptation that I am going to face at some point today, am I ready to overcome it in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit? The moment of persecution that may come tomorrow or later this week or sometime in the future, am I ready to endure it? The pressure that I'm experiencing right now in one way or another to conform to the pattern of this world, am I resisting that? And am I being formed into the image of Jesus instead? Am I ready? Am I prepared for that? And I think the flip question, I think that's very applicable for us as American Christians, is, is our abundance and our safety and our comfort, is that causing us to sleep? Or are we ready? Am I ready for Jesus to return or am I asleep? Are the comforts and securities of this life causing me to place those gifts above the giver and to become my goal? Have I made some other thing the center of my life? Am I denying Christ because I have a full belly and don't really think I have much need of Him? Am I ready or am I asleep? This is the question for Christian discipleship that is held up to us in these letters. A mirror for our life. Are you ready? Friends, If you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will today endure through that temptation and stand, if tomorrow you will endure through whatever persecution or ridicule that comes your way, God is preparing you for whatever trial and temptation you may face in the future. He is preparing you and equipping you for those things. The church in Philadelphia was ready. When the time of testing and trial came, they were ready, and they patiently endured whatever persecution they had to endure. They kept Jesus at the center. They did not deny his name. And so I want to talk about one particular quality of this church that Jesus names that I think helps us to be ready, to be prepared for whatever we may trial or temptation we face. It seems to me that the church in Philadelphia was a church that recognized that they were fully dependent on God. A church that was fully dependent on God. Here's what Jesus has to say to them. Verse 8. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know, Jesus says, I know you, church in Philadelphia. I know that you have little strength. In the eyes of the world, the church in Philadelphia wasn't much. This church may have just been maybe even a few dozen people, perhaps even less than Broadway Christian Church. They weren't 
a large church. They for sure didn't have any impressive buildings. They for sure didn't have very much education. They were probably materially poor. They have little strength, but they depended on God. And they knew his word, and they kept it, and they did not deny his name in the city of Philadelphia. Jesus says to them, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept your, my word and not denied my name. I love the, the, the tenderness of the good shepherd here to them. I know, I know your strength is small. I know, I don't want or need you to be impressive or important or successful. I need you to stand in the little strength that I give you and remain obedient to my word and do not deny your name. That's all I ever ask of any of you. The church in Philadelphia remained dependent on Jesus. I just want to share with you, this is one of the many, many things that I've been learning in my life over the last year. There are, you know, Paul's, Paul's letter to the Philippians where he talks about how he's like the Hebrew of Hebrew and the, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin and has all of this, this great heritage of the faith. I feel like if, if I were to write a letter like that, in my own heritage of the faith, there are a lot of things that I could write up there on the wall about the strength that I have. That I've been given because of the parents that I had, because of the churches that I went to, and the way that those churches acknowledged uh, my gifts and encouraged that, and, and equipped me, and, and sent me to go be trained to be a leader, and sent me to seminary. And I'm just... I've had so many opportunities to learn and to grow from some of the greatest Christian minds in our world today. I remember one time sitting with a professor and I was talking about a paper that I was writing. And he said to me, he said, he said you, you should call J.I. Packer and talk with him about that paper. If you don't know who J.I. Packer is, he's like the most well-known and influential theologian of the last century. I said, I should talk to J.I. Packer. He said, yeah, here's his phone number. So I got to talk with Jack Packer for 30 minutes on the phone about this paper that I was writing. And that's just one example of the opportunities that I have had and, and the ways in which I'm then tempted to live according to my own strength. Those things are incredible gifts from God. And if I see them and I receive them as, as gifts from God to help me know Him better, to learn to walk in obedience together, they are great gifts to me. But if I rely on them, if I rely on those things, it can become dangerous to my faith if I lean on them and trust in them and in my own strength rather than in Christ. I'm learning dependence. I'm learning that we can never be too weak for God. Remember the churches in Ephesus and in Sardis were both strong churches. They looked great on the outside. They both had all sorts of good deeds that they could point to. They were strong in the faith, and they began to rely on their own strength and their own reputation, and they forgot dependency on God. The church in Philadelphia never, ever forgot that when they are weak, that he is strong. God cannot work through someone who is proud. Cannot work through someone who lives out of their own strength. 
God cannot work with a full, filled-up vessel. He fills up vessels that are weak and empty, and He uses them for His sake. God works through the humble. He doesn't work through people who have everything figured out. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Why are those kinds of people blessed in Jesus' eyes? It's because they're never tempted to live in their own strength. It's because these are the people who know that they are fully dependent on God. They are aware of how little they really have and how much they need Him. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Dependence on God is what characterizes this church in Philadelphia. Does that characterize your life? So Jesus' letter to this small and weak church is to stay strong and remain dependent on Him. And then like the other letters, Jesus goes on in detail about who He is for this church and who reminds them of their hope. He reminds them of who He is. Verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. The one who holds the key of David. I want to talk about the key of David briefly, and then also this idea of of an open door. The key of David, what is he referring to here? Well, throughout the Bible, David is, is the symbol of the ideal king of Israel. And Jesus is a descendant of David, the promised Jewish Messiah who would come and sit on the throne and who would be not only Israel's king, but the king of the whole world. And Jesus is the one who holds this key of David. He is the Messiah who has come and who is coming. So this is who Jesus is for the church in Philadelphia. He is the one who holds the key to the kingdom of God, and he has opened the door for the church in Philadelphia. He has opened wide the door for them and has invited them into the kingdom. Remember for a second what was happening to the church in Philadelphia. They were having the door of the synagogue shut to them. And so Jesus comes to them and says, I have opened a door wide for you. Here, Jesus gives them this message that he holds the keys to a door that has been opened wide to them. He gives them access. Access to what? And access to who? I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read three verses from Hebrews chapter 4 that talks about the access that we receive through Christ. Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And because he is our high priest, here is the access that he gives to us. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus opens the door, and he gives us access to the throne of grace. 
He gives us access to the presence of the Father. Jesus opens the door wide and he says to all who are weak, come. The door is open to access to God. To all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, come, the door is open. To all who are sinners and who know it, come, the door is open for you to come and receive forgiveness. To all of you who have figured out that you don't have everything figured out, come, the door is open to all of the treasures of knowledge that can be found in Christ. To all who have come to the end of themselves and have found that there's not much left, come, the door is open for you. To all of you who are lonely, come. The door is open to you to have fellowship with God and with others. To all who are tired, come. The door is open to you to come and find rest. To all of you who are afraid, come. The door is open to be comforted. He is the one with the keys and gives access to the presence of God. He opens the door and gives way to salvation. So while the doors of the synagogue were being shut in their faces, they got to hear that the one who holds the real key to the real door is the one that opens that door for me. This is who Jesus is for the church in Philadelphia, and it is who Jesus can be for you if you will admit, like the church in Philadelphia, that you have little strength. And that you commit to keep his word and to not deny his name. I have a few other things prepared here, but I, I think I just want to stop here and just want to ask each of you, each one of you, have you walked through this open door that's available to you in Jesus? He is the one who holds the key and gives access to your creator, and to the lover of your soul. And you can walk through that door by faith in Jesus, by by placing your weight, by placing all of your trust in the work that he's done for you. And so I want to ask everyone in the room today, have you walked through that door that Jesus opens for you? The worship team can come on up. Our faith, going through that door, is believing, placing our trust, not in our own strength or our own ability or in our good work, but in His strength, in His ability, and in His good work to give us access to the Father. When you place your faith in Him, when you believe and place the whole weight of your life in Him, you walk through a door and gain access to your Creator, who loves you. And so I ask you today, have you walked through that door? And if you haven't done so, I invite you this morning, as we sing here, to come forward. You can come to this side of the altar or to this one and to kneel. And one of us will come forward and to talk you through what it means to place your faith in Jesus. To walk through that door of access to the Father. And for those of you who have made that decision at some point in the past, I want to ask you, are you ready Are you prepared today when some temptation, some trial comes your way? Are you prepared to stand in your dependence on Jesus? Are you ready? Are you prepared when some persecution comes tomorrow or this week or a year from now? Are you ready to stand? Are you ready to follow his word and to refuse to deny his name? Are you awake? Has your comfort, your wealth, your safety, your security, has it lulled you to sleep? Is your belly so full that you've forgotten Jesus?
Are you awake and alert? Are you ready for Jesus to return? The church in Philadelphia was ready, even though they had little strength. This isn't about you feeling confident or strong enough. It's admitting that you have little strength in committing today to keep his word and to not deny his name in the face of trial. Are you ready and prepared to do that? Lord, I pray for each one of us today, wherever we are with you, wherever we are, whether we have walked through this door and have now turned our back on you and maybe have walked back out and wandered someplace else, Lord, if we have never walked through that door, that you are standing there with the door open, I pray we would walk through it, that we would turn from whatever else we've been following and turn and follow you and to come and to enjoy access to our Creator and our Maker. Amen.